Hi, I'm Pastor Tony. So excited to jump into this new series called Harvest. Can you say it with me? One, two, three. Harvest, yeah. You have a harvest right now in your life. I mean, I know this is, this is a little bit of harvest season that we're in right now as far as we live in Indiana and the corn, they're, they're, they're getting it and the soybeans and all that stuff, the apples. Uh, anybody been to the apple orchard? Anybody go in the apple orchard? Reason you go and now and you don't go like in April is because in April there's no apples. But now there's a harvest. Are you with me? Right? And so we, around the world, people celebrate harvest. It's a, it's a, big, it's a big deal. And uh, I think that when we look around life, well, our life is the harvest that, that we're getting. And the harvest that we get is in direct relation to, to what we've planted in our life. And I think that if you look around your life, you know, if your life was a field of crops or an orchard, as I mentioned, or a vineyard, what are you harvesting right now? What are you harvesting right now in your life? Uh, harvest is, is, the idea of harvest is starting with the end in mind. Like the result that we want, the outcome that we want, well, well we, we don't like just leave that up to mere happenstance. We we begin to think about what do we want that to see. Harvest thinking is focusing on the future, not just the moment. I like the moment. Anybody with me? I like, I like right now, I like the moment. In fact, I was, I'm, I'm doing a service for, for uh, Emily Kate, who plays the violin, her grandmother uh, today, uh, who passed away. And, and I was texting with, with Annie, and Annie said, you know, I feel like I'm flying by the seat of my pants with this. And I thought, well, you're in good company because I kind of like the moment. Right, I, I like, let's do it in a moment. Like, let's just change it up right now. I'm okay uh, to a certain level with that. And, and, um, and I think that I love the moment, but I also realize this and, and get this, that life isn't just about the moment. In the moment, you're planting seeds that are gonna bring a harvest into your life. And so we've gotta be cognizant of that. And I think, you know, the idea that there's a destination that we're reaching for and that, that many times we have the future somewhere out there that we're going to arrive there one day and it'll be whatever it is. And I say this, that the future is not just a place we arrive at, but it's a place we plan for. Anybody with me? Picking up while I'm laying down. I'm going to read some scripture. We're going to read in Genesis chapter 8, also in Galatians chapter 6, and then we'll be in 2 Corinthians. So you can, you can kind of mark those places. We'll have the words appear if you don't have a Bible or mobile device to find those on. Uh, Genesis 8, and you can read this whole chapter because it's a good one to, to get context, but I'm just going to pull this one verse out to kind of set the tone for this series. It says this, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. In other words, he says this, that, that while the earth remains, seed time, or we call it sowing or planting, and, and reaping or harvest or gathering well, that's not going to cease as long as this earth exists. And by the way, and I mentioned it earlier, all around the world, people celebrate harvest. The, the idea of the bounty that is brought in and, and what we receive and what we gather. Galatians 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit uh, reap everlasting life. That, 
that Paul's laying down this, this concept of sowing and reaping that, that, that you have it here, first of all, in Genesis. Well, it sounds very agricultural, which it is, right? The idea of, of planting and harvesting, sowing and reaping. And then Paul takes it seemingly to a, to a much greater level. He kind of bases our eternity on this idea of sowing and reaping, that, that one could sow to the flesh and reap corruption, or you could sow to the Spirit and, 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 and then reap uh, everlasting life. But don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. Don't, don't, think, how, don't think some way that you're going to mock God for whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap because that's the principle. I love what Robert Louis Stevenson said. He said, sooner or later, everyone sits down to a banquet of consequences. Oh, there's one place in Scripture, and I may be taking it out of context a little bit, but I like what it says. It says, be sure, King James for you, be sure your sins will find you out. Because when I was a kid, I found that to be true. Anybody know what that is? Like you do something in secret. And then somehow it gets revealed. Like nobody told anybody, they just knew you did it. I don't know if you look guilty. I don't, I don't know if, if, it was, if it was mother's intuition, woman's in, or if it was the Holy Spirit, but somehow they figured out. Neil Anderson, in one of his books, he, he said it like this, sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an action and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. That there's this progression that when I sow in life, that it's going to produce something, whether it's crops or whether it's my spiritual walk and my spiritual life, something is going to be produced. There's going to be a harvest that comes. And so I want to give you, give you real quickly some harvest truths. And if you're, if you're taking notes, jot it down. And if you're not, you might want to anyways, because you're going to need these, because it's important that you understand that in the cycle of our earth on this planet, that seed time and harvest is never going to cease on earth. That's what the Word tells us. It's never going to stop. As long as the earth exists, seed time and harvest. Well, what about a drought? Well, there's things happen, but what the Lord is saying is that you can count on this, that on this planet, there's going to be a season of planting and a season, a season of harvest, a season of sowing and a season of reaping. And sowing and reaping, second thing that you learn is that it reaps, that sowing and reaping works for everyone. Everyone. But it's, 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 it's almost like gravity. You don't have to be like, you know, blood-bought, Holy Ghost-filled, fire-baptized, running for your life, believer, to know that gravity works. It works on all of us. Are you with me? Like, gravity works every time. If we throw you up in the air, you're going to come back down. Right? The airplane might fly for a little bit, but you take the fuel away, and gravity wins. Right? The, the idea that gravity works, it's a law, Govern, governs our planet. There's mathematical laws. Two plus two equals four. Unless you're doing that new math, every time. Every time. Two plus two, two is something, and two is something equals four. I'm, I learned it when I was little. My parents learned it when they were little. I, I've been telling my granddaughters about how you can take this many and add them with this many, and it always comes out this many. It's, 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 a, it's a governing, it's a mathematical law that works. They were able to hit, as long as it really happened, they were able to hit the moon, moving tens of thousands of miles an hour in, 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 a, in, a, in, in something that we sent from the earth, 
moving at a very rapid, you know, several times the speed of sound based on mathematical laws. Anybody ever seen the movie Hidden Figures? You should see it if you haven't seen it. I mean, incredible ladies that, 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 that understood and could work mathematics because it just works. Let me, show, let me show you something. The law of sowing and reaping, the law of harvest, works. It, as long as the earth is here and it works for everybody, everybody on this planet, right, it works. And, and, and throughout time, well, there's been ways we've tried to describe it. People have, you know. Uh, some of the days, uh, they commented on a post and they said something about karma to me. Well, I don't necessarily believe in karma, but that's somebody's way of, of trying to define sowing and reaping. They don't have the biblical understanding maybe of what that is, so they call it karma. And somebody, the creation of the idea of karma was the idea that we understand that if you do this, then you get back. It comes back to you. Well, that's sowing and reaping at a certain level. And, and in the world, there's the idea of cause and effect, that if you, if you do this, well, then there's something that's going to ha- take place because of that. And so we've maybe tried to explain the idea, if you put out this energy or this effort, well, then you're going to get something that's going to come back to you. And God gives it to us as sowing and reaping, and it works for everyone. You say, Pastor, well, I think it just works for Christians. And I think, well, you're wrong. The atheist farmer out there puts his crops in the ground, and the Christian farmer puts his crops in the ground, right? The, the farmer that planted soybeans, guess what? His soybeans are going to grow whether he believes in God or not because it's a law of God. Gravity works on him just like that because that's the way it works in our world. And not just agricultural. Paul says all the way to spiritual stuff. That if you, if you, if you sow to the flesh, you can get much of corruption, but if you sow to the spirit... There's this, there's this idea of, of life everlasting. And, and I think it's, it comes to this. I think it's in every, just about every facet of life. If, if, you, if you do the sowing, well, then you're going to get the reaping. It's like this. If you plan, if you plan well, well, you have smoother running in your life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you are planners. You're all into it. Others of you are like, man, I hate a plan. As, as you get a little older and wiser, I think, those that don't like the plan understand, well, the plan helps create order and peace, right? You reap something from the plan. If you're a student, you go to, maybe you're in here in your middle school or high school or college, well, here's what you know. Here's what you should know. If you listen in class, do your homework, and, and, and you um, study and, and do all, put the time in, well, you can get a good grade, Right? I mean, you know, probably. You may not be a good test taker, but, but and by the way, let me just help all of you. Like a C isn't a bad grade. C is average. I think sometimes we're down on the C. When C is average, most people should get a C unless they've been doing this wrong all this time. If you get a B, well, you're a little better than average. You get an A, you're exceptional. I, you know, if you get 90% or one teacher I had 92%, she thought she knew more about the law of average, I think, than the entire educational world. But, but I'm just saying this, that if you apply yourself, if you sow in study habits, in, in, in listening and participating and engaging, well, then you're probably going to get a good grade. If you do this, if you don't do any of that, and then the test comes and you're like, throw up the Hail Mary, Jesus, I need a good grade. Guess what? You probably aren't going to get a good grade because of the law of sowing and reaping. You didn't sow well, so you won't harvest well. 
It's like the farmer that says, well, it's time to harvest. Lord, I just hope I know I didn't plant any seeds. I know I didn't till the ground. I know I didn't plow it. But Lord, if you just give me a good harvest, guess what? That's not the way it works. And we treat our spirituality like that. We, we treat a whole lot of important things like that, that we don't invest in, in life, in relationships, and in the things that are important. And then one day we think, okay, Lord. And we get upset because we don't get it. Right? It's, it's the idea of, of uh, you know, going to school. Well, you'll get a diploma or you'll get a degree. That's the harvest because you spent the time doing it. Uh, you learn a skill. I remember when I was a youth pastor, one of the guys named Robbie, he, uh, he didn't, a lot of the kids wanted to go to college. He said, I'm going to be an electrician. And he went through the apprentice, apprenticeship and all that stuff and became an electrician. And, man, he was making bank before everybody because he learned the skill. This, he learned the skill, and then he, he was able to see the harvest. By the way, let me help you. This, seri- this, this morning isn't all about money. I may not mention much about money. I will next week for sure. If you say, I don't want to hear about money, we'll come next week because you probably need it if you don't want to hear about it. But, but, but I'm just saying, that's not what today's about. We'll certainly mention it because the law of harvest, of sowing and reaping, works in your life, again, in just about every capacity. Uh, relationships, if you, if you sow into your relationships, many times we're not everybody's friend because if we're everybody's friend, we, we know that it's going to cost us something. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So you, so you limit the friends you have, not in a mean way, but there's only so many pe- people that you can invest your life into. You can't, you can't do it the same level with everybody. And, and, and so when it comes to marriage, well, that's something you sow into. That's a, that's a lifelong relationship that you're, you're cultivating. So you want to sow into that. You want to sow into uh, your children and parenting them and guiding them. Because, because the ramifications are huge. Just as much, and I used Robert Louis Stevenson's quote, just as much as you'll sit down at the banquet table of consequence, you also can sit down at the banquet table of blessing. Anybody like that one better? Yeah, that's why people that invest in stock, stock market, well, they understand if I invest the right kind of stocks, I'll either be able to sell and, and have a harvest that way or I'll be able to invest and collect dividends. Um, I, I think the understanding that, that, that this here, the sowing, sometimes that's not what we would desire to do. We had a little birthday party for our granddaughter who turned two, Olivia. And uh, she's got some allergies and stuff. And it seems like I don't know how she could even eat a cake, but somehow they can make a cake that don't have all the stuff in it. But it has sugar in it. And I'm like sitting there and I'm like, oh, my it's a chocolate one with, it's a yellow cake with chocolate icing. And that's like a dream made in heaven. And I thought, well, I could have one piece. And I did. But I could have said no, because I have the power to say no. You have the power, you know you have the power to say no. Let me help you. You have the power to say no in situations that are difficult. Or, or, but we also have the power, right? Because was, there was a hard thing that I needed to do, but I kind of caved. I said, hey, it's a party, and I'm going to party with everybody, so give me a piece of that cake. I'm just saying this. I'm just saying this, that, you know, for, for me, uh, long journey, but I was able to do that. Not that I want to do that all the time, because sometimes i got to make the, the tough decision, right? Because before the reward, there's the labor, right? Before you harvest, there's the planting. 
You've got to sow in tears sometimes so you can reap in joy. Small choices of planting will ultimately determine the large outcomes of harvest, right? The, the, the small choices that we make in life, there comes a tipping point where we start to see a har- harvest that comes our way because we've made the small choices that sometimes are difficult to make. See, what you plant, second thing that you need to understand is what you plant, I'm sorry, third thing, what you plant determines what you harvest, that sounds simple, but so many times we, we miss this. See, no farmer goes out and plants a corn crop and thinks, I'm going to get a lemon harvest. Right? No, no farmer says, I'm planting soybeans, but what I'm really wanting is pineapples. Nobody. We think that sounds nuts. See, Pastor Tony, it's so simple. Well, then why do we do this? We sow all these things that only produce these chaotic results and this turmoil and all this frustration when we know that's what it's going to produce and we don't plant the seeds that will bring peace and growth and, and all the things that we need in life. Sometimes Americans treat their spirituality like, well, I'm just going to do this and think I'm going to get this. I'm going to live like hell and think I'm going to get a harvest of heaven. Well, it didn't work that way. Right? There's this law of sowing and reaping. The seed you sow produces the harvest you get, period. Your harvest, here's one you need, a truth you need to understand. Your harvest, you harvest more than you sow. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not much of a, of a person that can grow things. I, I, well, I'm better than the one guy that cut my grass several years ago. I planted some tomato plants and he weed whacked them. I said, hey, man, you cut my tomatoes down. He said, what those were? I thought that was a weed. I thought, well, I know more than him. But I planted, I planted a tomato plant this year, and it's out there, just one plant. And I've got like 25 tomatoes. I've got so many tomatoes. I'm the only one in my house that eats tomatoes. And I can only eat so many tomatoes. My daughter said, well, you know, you can can them. I said, no, I can't. <laughs> I mean, I know you got to you you put those jars in. My, I watched my, my mom and dad, they can stuff and put it down in the basement. They have all kinds of stuff all year, green beans and hot peppers and all this stuff, you know. And, and I know that you got to boil the jars and you got to boil the tomatoes and peel the skins off and all this stuff, put the lids on them, whatever it is. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm not going to do it. You know why? Because I don't want to do all that sewing for a, for a jar of tomatoes. You think, well, they'll be so good this winter. Not really. <laughs> Not for what I'm going to put into them. Now, now I'm just going to tell you, that's the way we think about stuff. Well, I'd do this, but well, it's going to take all that. Like, what am I going to make? Tomato preserves? I've had those, and they're not that good. Anybody have tomato preserves? First service, a couple people. Like, and you've got to have, you have a couple days on you to have had tomato preserves. But it's like, oh, there was tomato preserves sitting in front of this fireplace this winter when it's cold outside. Like, no. Like blueberry jam? Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's some other stuff, but I'm just saying this, though. The tomato plant produced more than what I put in the ground. Produced more than I really want or need. I'm, I'm like, you want some tomatoes? I'll give you tomatoes. Some of the best tomatoes ever grown on this side of the Mississippi. Jesus said it like this, given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will men give into your bosom for the measure uh, with, uh, that you give will it be measured back to you. And I, I think it's so important that we understand that when you sow, 
Uh, Galatians uh, talked about it. Paul wrote and talked about it with, with the idea that, that whatever we sow, we're going to reap. And Paul goes on to say this in, uh, in 2 Corinthians Verse, or, yeah, verse nine, or chapter 9, verse 6, 6 through 8, three verses here. Paul says, but this, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all, everybody say all, all grace abound toward you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, a lot of alls there, may have an abundance for every good work. So I want to just take us for a few moments on this idea of plant well so you can harvest well. Plant well. Because I want to tell you, my desire for you is in your life, in your health, in your finances, in your relationships, in your spiritual walk, that you have a, that you have a, a harvest that God desires for you. And, and by the way, God wants it more than you do. God wants it so much that he gave his son so that you could harvest well. And I think it's important that we understand that my present circumstances, what you're facing right now, is a direct result of my decisions. And today, today, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Today, let's make a choice for our future. What I'm experiencing right now in my life is a direct result of my decisions seeds that we sow in life are decisions that we make. And I think uh, it's so important to understand that, that uh, what you sow is a seed, but what you keep is a harvest. Right? What, 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 I, what I plant, that's the seed, but what I get to keep, well, that's the harvest. And Paul's saying that First of all, you need to sow with generosity. He, he says that, that if you sow sparingly, I know you used that word this morning already, didn't you? Right? We don't use that word a lot. Bountifully, we don't use that word. If you, if, if you sow um, with just a little bit, well, that's what you're going to reap. But if you, if you sow bountifully, if you sow with abundance and big, well, God's going God's to bring back that to you. Sow with generosity. There was a, um, someone in the first service, they came to me after the first service, and they said, um, they said, you know, they, and they were in Houston at the time, and they said, they saw a young man praying, and the Lord said, or she felt directed to go give him something. So she turned around, went back, went to him and said, hey, and before she gave, she, she's going to give him a couple 20s, and the Lord said, give all. There's that word again, right? Give all. And she said, you know, I'm a single mom with two children at the time, and she said, I in my purse, I had $240. And she said, I said, I want to give this to you. Cause he, and he said he, he was getting money for his rent. So I want to give this to you. And, and uh, by, by the way, the Lord will lead you in these. Don't, don't just do it because you feel like you should do something. Allow the Lord to lead you in these times. But she gave the $240 to him. And he said, listen, that's too much. He said, I've got some money already that someone else has given me. So I don't need all that. She said, well, just... She's thinking, the Lord told me to give her all. She said, just use the rest for groceries or something. And she said she had been needing a raise because she was struggling. And she said, you know, she could have used that money for groceries and all kinds of stuff. And she said, and this has been several years ago, she said, 
that next week she got a $6 an hour raise. Or she, a raise that she'd been wanting and needing for so long. And it was like something broke. And I would just say this, that and we don't give just to get. If, you, if you're doing that, give to get to give. Maybe that's a little different spin on it. But, but we don't give to just get. Right? We give because the Lord has been so generous to us. We want to be generous. Proverbs 11.24 says this, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. In other words, one gives. Wow. The other one holds, thinking, well, if I hold this, I'll have it, and yet they come to poverty. I love one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 22, verse 9, says, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. They take a portion of their food, and they sow it into someone less fortunate's life. Sowing generously. Sowing generously into people's lives that you love and you care about. I thought about uh, first Wednesday, we, we, we just did a small offering, just said, hey, put some money in the buckets, you can give online, because there's a church in Fort Myers that's helping people from the hurricane. And we were able to give uh, $500 toward uh, that effort for them. They, they, they opened up uh, to give uh, prepared, they have a big kitchen to feed um, people the other night, and they said that 600 people showed up. They thought maybe 50 or 100 people would come. 600 people showed up, and some of the people said it's the first cooked meal they've had since the hurricane. And so because of your generosity, we were able to help. And you still could mark something for that in one of the envelopes if you wanted, and we'll, we'll, we'll give every dollar. Every dollar that went goes to provide supplies and food for those that are in, in need and sowing with generosity financially in your lives, sowing into other people's lives, you're going to reap a harvest. Being generous with the good kind of decisions you make. Sow with determination. Paul says, says you know, this idea of sowing generously, not, not so bountifully, not sparingly. And, and then he says, as, as, as every person purposes in their heart, right, that, that, that you've determined in your heart that you're going to sow into this area of your life. Like maybe it's your health. You say, you know what, you're going to make a determination to make a difference in, in your health. Because I'm going to tell you that the, the bad decisions that you make over the years, well, eventually they produce a harvest. I remember one of the saddest days in my life was when I was at the doctor because I'd been having some stuff going on, and, and uh, it's, it's been 15, 16, 17, 18 years ago now. And I was at the doctor, and they said, you have diabetes, type 2 diabetes. Well, for a long time, people told me, I was drinking three liters of pop a day. <laughs> That's dumb. Anybody with me say yes? <laughs> right? It's just, if you're doing it, it's not smart. I'm not saying it's dumb, but it's not smart. And I, I didn't drink coffee. I didn't drink water. I just, you know, give me a Pepsi. I don't care. Dr. Pepper. Coke. I called everything Coke. It didn't matter. Okay, I'll take a Coke. I'd start off the morning, go to get a breakfast sandwich somewhere, and get me a 32-ounce, drink it. Then lunchtime, i get another one. i drink one in the middle of the day, eat a candy bar. You see in the picture what's happening? People said, don't drink that. You become a diabetic. I'm like, that's not how you become a diabetic. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> I was sowing the wrong seeds. And then when I'm sitting in the doctor, and they give me, here's the harvest. You have di type 2 diabetes. Oh, Jesus. I mean, I pray, Jesus, I come out of there. Help me. I don't want this. They've had diabetes in my family. You say, yeah, that's just, and doctors say this, you know. Bless the doctors. But they say, DNA, DNA, genes, genes. I'm like, yeah. I kind of believe this. 
I've heard this explained this way, that DNA is the gun, but my decisions are the trigger. Am I, right, I going to pull the trigger on that so that I end up with this? And so here I am, I've, I've been sowing and sowing, and then to make a change, well, that took some doing, some undoing, because all the pathways in my head was, all right, let's get a Coke. I'm not preaching against you. You can have a Coke or Pepsi or Dr. Pepper, right? I mean, I don't care, but you probably can't have three liters a day of it. Drink one on Christmas. Get the little glass Coke bottle and put it in the fridge for a little bit and let it just get cool. Psh, open that thing. I'm not saying I don't like it. Somebody said, well, if you do it for long enough, you won't like it anymore. I was someplace, I was in Haiti. In Haiti, they gave us a Coke every day. It was a Haitian Coke. It was Coca-Cola, but it was bottled there with real sugar. And they gave it to us every day. That's what we had to drink. I got the Coke. I'm like, wow, this is so good. It's not like, not like right, because the pathways were there. It had to be some determination to change. Here's one of the things that I read, and I'll read it to you today that will help you. It's not me saying it. This is Fred Smith. Somebody said, is he your uncle? I said, no, he's the founder of FedEx. But he said this, you are the way you are because that's the way you want to be. If you really wanted to be any different, you would be in the process of changing right now. Oh, you're the way that you want to be. And if you really wanted to be different, you'd be in the process Right? The harvest that you have, if, you don't, if you're frustrated by it, if you look around your life and you say, this is not what I want, well, you've got to start planting some different seeds. And this, is, this isn't a guilt or shameful kind of thing. Please don't get it wrong. That's, that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts. Guilt and shame, they just leave you feeling bad and feeling less than yourself and feeling like, I just messed up, I've blown it, I'm discouraged, I'm hopeless. No, Holy Spirit convicts so that you can change the trajectory you're on to go in a different direction so you can have the kind of harvest that is best for your life. And for some of you, well, that decision needs to be health. I'm going to make some changes so that, that I don't have to continue this way. And, and I think that, that it's often this idea that you've got to do something you dislike to have something you desire. I disliked not having a Snicker bar every day. I disliked not getting to eat the sugary stuff that I always wanted. Now, let me help you. My harvest right now is no medication, blood sugar, glucose levels in good shape, simply because I started sowing some different seeds. It didn't happen overnight, and it wasn't easy. Like, you, you make a decision, well, I'm going to sow into my spiritual life, I'm going to get in the Word every morning, I'm going to get up at 5 in the morning, and I'm going to get in God's Word, I'm going to spend an hour in prayer, and I'm just going to, I'm going to go for Jesus, and then when the alarm clock goes off at 5 or 4.55, or when you've set it for, that decision seemed like, yes, on Sunday morning, I, I thought, I'm going to change, I'm going to get a new harvest I'm going to start sowing different. I'm going to plant some different seeds. And then the alarm clock goes off, and, well, it's a different story. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, man, my bed is so comfortable. It's, it's a cold season. I'll wait till it gets warmer to do this. I'll wait till the first of the year to work out. No, determination says I've got to do something today. You see, you see what, we're, what we're doing, many times in the Christian world, we're thinking, well, I just want the harvest without the work. It's like free cheese. I want the free cheese, but somebody said that, that invariably the free cheese is already, has been placed on a mousetrap, right? It's, it's, it's not, it's going to cost you more 
to get that. And, and here's what we can do is we can get all inspired to make some changes, and we're going to do this differently. We're going we're gonna to invest in relationships. We're going to start making some different decisions about our finance and our future, and then we put it off. Procrastinate. Anybody got the spiritual gift of procrastination? We procrastinate. Here's what happens. Procrastination can lead to hesitation. And when you hesitate, well, then there's inaction that follows. And then what happens is you get corrupted dreams and broken promises, many of them to yourself. If you can't, if, if you can't trust your own word to yourself, then I don't know if your word's reliable to anybody. Right? It's, it's, it's doing some of the difficult things, some of the hard things, so that you can get the harvest that you want. I've heard, I've heard this used. It's, it's pay now so you can play later. Well, enjoy the moment, but understand that creating, creating the lifestyle that's going to produce the harvest you want is going to cost you something. And no, no one that is ever used by God just happened on the scene and never did any preparation. I mean, really used by God. Like they, 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 they made an investment into their relationship with God. I think about, you know, I, I see folks like this morning a little cooler, at least the first service, and guys out parking cars, here early, getting things together, putting in the time to, it's an investment, investment so that we can see, oh, God, you're doing some incredible stuff. And the third one is so with joy. Paul, Paul uses the word cheerful here. Um, and you may say, Pastor, you just said it's going to be hard decisions, and, you know, it's that farmer that's, that's doing all the hard work so he can get the harvest, and so how do we sow with joy? Well, I think Jesus provides the greatest example. The Bible says this, that Jesus endured the cross set before him with joy. Now, for us to get an accurate, pic accurate picture, I think we have to understand the cross, you know, we, we wear it around our neck and we put it up and, and it's very beautiful. At Easter, we'll put a cross and put some purple on it and put some lilies by it. Oh, it's just so, and, and we understand it's beautiful because of what, what we receive from it. But in re reality, if we went back to first century, well, they'd, in, in Israel or in Rome, well, they said, this is, that's a horrible thing. Think about it like this. Think about the, like, the electric chair. Now, you may say, well, pastor, that's really a horrid kind of picture. And No, it's the, the, the cross is about a thousand times more inhumane than an electric chair would be. I mean, it's just I mean, hard, hard for us to, to understand. And so what, what we're saying is Jesus is, is enduring the cross with joy. He's, he's moving forward to the cross with joy. And, and can you imagine a prisoner that's on death row who's guilty? Jesus wasn't guilty. Who's guilty of, of doing some heinous act? And, and now he's going to be, it's the time, he's waited. Now the time has arrived. They're going to walk him down the long walk to where the electric chair is. And they're going to strap him in, put the leads on him and the, hat, the helmet thing on. I don't know if I've ever seen one. Somehow I know this. And he's all the time walking down there. Oh, I'm so joyful about going to my death in the electric chair. That didn't sound like that makes sense. I don't know if that's ever happened in, in all of history. There's somebody, yes, yes, yes. They're going to kill me today. They're going to fry me today. I'm sorry to, sorry to be so graphic, but, but just understand, nobody's saying, yes, I'm doing this with joy. But Jesus, he goes to the cross, 
They're going to beat him and scourge him, crown the thorns and pierce him in the side and nail him to the cross. They're going to do all these things, and with joy he moves forward to that. How is it that he can do that? Well, it's because, and I read the passage last week from Revelation, that he's looking way beyond the cross. And way down there, he sees, he sees a number gathered around the throne. John, John gives it to us of every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation, of every people that are worshiping the Lamb. And, and he sees that behind the cross. And for that reason, he can go to the cross with joy. And, and here's what Paul says in Philippians Chapter 2, verse 5, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in the, in the form of God, in the nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made of himself nothing but taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus saw beyond. He saw the harvest. And when you're making those decisions and, and you're sowing those seeds and you're doing the planting, it may seem hard, but allow God to give you joy. Not just happiness. Happiness won't come in those moments sometimes. Right? When, you're, when you're on the machine and you're like, I just don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't Let God give you a picture of the health he's going to give in your life. I mean, I believe in healing. I pray for people to be healed. I believe God can heal you and, and do a work in your health. But I also know there's some stuff that we can do that, that again, sowing and reaping that needs to happen. There was, there was some faith healer. One time I heard the story that, that somebody came to get prayed for for back problems, which if you ever had back problems, that's not good. And, and he just said, listen, here's what you need to do. <laughs> to correct your problem. Now, this guy, they said he was healing all kinds of people. And so there's some back problems. Well, they happen, and other back, back problems, that, well, maybe there's something he could have done. I love it. I, I, I love this idea that, that Paul uses with giving, that it's not about a full wallet. It's about a full heart, right? It, it, it's, it's, it's not about the decision you make. Is, does it, you feel good about it right now? It's about the harvest that's going to come. And so... So understanding Jesus, well, he became disfigured and disabled on a Roman cross. He became crippled by our sin, even to the point of death, so that you never, ever have to be. And he did that with joy, with joy. Lastly, so with confidence. Uh, Paul's just giving us this description that God, well, he's going to be faithful. He says in Galatians, man sows, he shall also reap. Here in, in 2 Corinthians, he's giving us this picture, this picture that, that God is able. Somebody shout, God is able. He's able to make all grace abound toward you. When I was a church I grew up in, they celebrated their 70th anniversary two Sundays ago. 70 years. That's a long time, isn't it? And when I was a kid, uh, we'd pull up onto the parking lot, it was this, it seemed like it was blue, just a big star. And it said, God is able on it. And I think until some kids busted it out, it's, it would still be there probably. It looked kind of funny, a neon-looking sign in front of a little Pentecostal church. They just believe God is able. Let me, let me help you this morning. You can trust. You can trust that God is able. 
He's not wringing his hands. He's not lacking confidence, can he? No, you can sow. You can plant seeds in confidence knowing that he's able. That, that God, I said it earlier, wants the good harvest for you better than you want for yourself. He wants to bless you so you can bless, bless others more than you want it for yourself. There's a, there's a story about, I love history, and a story about Lewis and Clark. Uh, most of you know Lewis and Clark went on a, on a discovery expedition, 1804, headed out west, went to places to, to record and document, map out areas, discover. They had some ideas people did about, about what was out west and how, how far it was and the connection and rivers and all that, but they didn't really know, and a lot of it was inaccurate. And so Lewis and Clark, they went on expedition. And in, in one of the entries, it says this, that Lewis and Clark, they just descended from the snowy, Bitterroot Mountains of Idaho. And they're descending, and, and it says that they're half-starved, they're weary, they're worn, kind of beat up, almost frozen. And they come off that mountain, or that range of mountains, and they come off there, and they're just, they're just wiped out. It could be that the expedition is going to end really soon because they just have expended almost everything within them. And they kind of stumble into this camp. It's a camp of Native Americans. Uh, the Nez, and I may not be doing it justice, but the Nez Perse Indians. And uh, they, are the, they are the first non-Native Americans that's ever been to this camp. First, first white guys that, that walk in there. And they, they stumble into there and, and and the, the, the main leadership of the tribe is off on a war party uh, in, in other places. And the one chief that's left there, his name is Twisted Hair. H-A-I-R. He didn't look like me. Twisted Hair. And Twisted Hair, he is, he's kind of confronted with some of the people in the tribe. And they say, listen, we need to kill these guys in this expedition because they got boxes and they've got guns and ammunition. And they know enough about know that we can take that and it's going to elevate us to another level among the other tribes because we'll have this we'll have this weaponry and the oral tradition says that that these people are just they were bent on let's kill them let's collect their collect confiscate all their all their stuff but there was a woman among the tribe and when she heard about this core of discoveries this expedition um, she went to the leaders of the tribe, and she said, "Listen." She said, "I." Uh, she told her story. Many of them knew her story because she's been telling it for years. She's aged and and near death at this point in her life. She said, "Many many years ago, our tribe sold me, or no, another tribe kidnapped me from our tribe, and they sold me to another Indian tribe." And then time passes, and she ends up in Canada, and she says it like this to them, and the and the white man took me in and befriended me and cared for me. And one day I was able to leave there and come back here. And she said, and this is her, her name was Watkuis. It meant return from a far country is what her name meant. And she said to them, these are the people who helped me. She said, do not hurt them. And I thought about how of this, that, that one stranger's simple act of kindness in an era and time when that probably wasn't common. One act of kindness many, many years before saved the lives of that entire expedition. 
And that sowing a little kindness can have such unexpected results. We think that the sowing is small. No, it's large because it's going to produce a harvest. It's going to produce a harvest that, that may be much greater than you. Maybe a legacy that's passed on. Maybe affect many other people. I told the story in first service. I hadn't planned on it, but it just came to mind. I was, uh, I was uh, five years, four years old, backyard. Somebody busted me in the head, taken to hospital in an ambulance. Just a rock, big rock, and, and blood everywhere. And it was a, it was a, I was four, it was an African-American guy. I'm just telling you so you get the full context of, of this story. African-American guy that was probably 12. And he just, bam, right in the head. I can remember this day going around the front of the house, blood all over me. And then they took me to the hospital. And kind of gets etched in your memory. Move up about a year later, I'm in kindergarten. And they got two lines. One is for the riders. They didn't have buses in this IPS school. School 99, Arlington Woods. Um, that didn't mean anything to you, but just verifying this is where it was at. 30th and Ritter. And, and they had the, the riders and the walkers. Well, every day I got in the rider line. But on one day, I got in the walker line. I don't know why. I was talking to somebody. I don't know what was happening. I don't have no clue why I did that to this day. I learned, you better not do that again. <laughs> so all the kids are walking out. I'm walking out, talking. I don't know what I'm doing. I get I just remember, I remember this just like right now. I remember opening the door and there's no cars there. And I'm so confused at what happened. Like, why is it my mom here to pick me up? Because we lived a pretty good distance and you'd had to walk even in kindergarten then. And I'm, not, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And all the other kids are going on away. And there's three guys standing there. Our, our school was kindergarten to eighth grade. Kindergarten to eighth grade. And there was three eighth graders, big tall guys. And they were African-American. And they said this. They said something to me. And I answered. And I told them, I don't know how to get home. And my mom's not here. And there's a big patch of woods behind the school. And they said, Where, they, somehow I knew my address. I guess in kindergarten, you know your address. And I told them, and they took me down this path through these woods. Now, all the time, my mom is frantic. The teacher doesn't know where I'm at. But I know, I know my mom, she probably had the principal out there by this point. Nobody knows where I'm at. Nobody knows I got in the walker line when I was supposed to be in the rider line. And these three guys, they took me through the woods, took me all the way, I don't know, brought me up to my house, left me there. My mom pulls up. I'm thinking, she's going to be so glad to see me. I don't know what her problem was, why she didn't come pick me up. Man, she was mad. It wasn't, it wasn't no grand reunion. I learned I better get in the rider line. Why am I telling you that? I'm telling you that because of this. I could have made some assumptions about an African-American person that hit me in the head and put that on everybody. And what God did was he turned that around and let some guys show me kindness. So, they, so it wasn't about color or who you are, or it's not about any of that stuff. It's about the idea that people show you kindness, and now you can show, you can show kindness into others. Anybody with me? Hope you can, I hope you're picking up what I'm laying down. 
And I'm just going to say this, that you may have tried to sow and it just didn't go well. Maybe you wanted to have this kind of harvest and you made a step and then you ended up with something else. I'm saying this, that if you'll sow the right seeds, God will produce a harvest in your life. Bigger and greater than anything you could imagine. More than you've sown. I'd say this, I've got more friends that don't look like me, think like me, act like me, sometimes than I do that do. Because I've learned I gotta sow into relationships. You gotta sow into your finances, you gotta sow into your health, you gotta sow into your, your marriage, you gotta sow into your children because there will be a harvest that gets produced. And I want the right harvest, how about you? Anybody, anybody done with chaos and confusion and turmoil and frustration and, and just the idea that, that lack is what it seems like you have and you know that if you sow some things, it can change it and today can be the day that you change that and you go in a new direction.